Welcome to the eLaborate Topics Podcast, where we focus on lab-specific strategies for medical laboratory professionals. We're proud to be the healthcare detectives that work behind the scenes to get the results needed to influence medical decisions. Let's grow together and jump right into the lab. Welcome to another episode of eLaborate Topics. We are your hosts, Tywana Wilson, Lona Small, and Stephanie Whitehead. Elaborate Topics is a weekly show where we bring you practical leadership and technical strategies that you can use both inside and outside of the laboratory. We have another awesome show for you today. This one is a little bit different from the shows that we typically talk about, but it is exciting nonetheless. So if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. We have tons of episodes for you to catch up on, over 100 to be exact. You can find it on directimpactbroadcasting.com or your favorite podcast platform. Do us a favor, go to whatever medium works for you, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. New episodes release each and every Tuesday and share it out because sharing is caring. So share it with a friend, share it with a colleague who needs to listen to this podcast. So we have an awesome round table for you today. And I love our round tables because it's an opportunity for us to get together and we give our experience with the topic and give you a few tips that you can use. So today, guess what? We are getting new equipment. That sounds, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm in the laboratory and I hear we are getting new equipment, especially if the equipment that we had has been giving us issues, I am like, woohoo, this is awesome. But then I start to think about the work that goes into it. And I'm like, ooh. So we are getting new equipment. And you're probably wondering, how do I select the best instrument for my laboratory? So we're going to talk about that. Going to give you a few tips and tricks that you can go back and use, whether you are a tech on the bench. These are things that would be helpful for you. Whether you are in management, these are some additional considerations maybe you haven't considered in the past. And so thinking about your instrumentation, thinking about you know, why, you know, what, what am I even selecting for? What, what instruments am I even selecting for? And so you have a couple of options. You have your, what, you know, what is the instrument for? So is it for your screening purposes? So your screening tests could be those of your BMP or your CBC. So these are tests that are typically large in quantity. And so you are looking for tests in which you can perform a screening or you're trying to figure out a particular analyte if an analyte is present, such as is cholesterol in here or I'm looking for a tumor marker, CA125, for example. Or you have to look 
is your equipment for confirmatory purposes. So you have already screened, but now you need instrumentation that's going to allow you to confirm or definitively say what uh, you're looking for. So this will be done post screen. So when I think about definitory or confirmatory equipment, I think about toxicology testing. I think about drug testing. So your definitive measure could be your liquid chromatography mass spec. So you would have done your screening for your drugs, your drug screens on an immunoassay platform. And then anything that maybe comes up positive there, you would go on to a definitive route, which could be your LC mass spec and you're looking for particular drug metabolites. So you have to figure out what you are looking for in regards to the instrumentation. What purpose is it serving? And then after you think about what purpose that it's serving, you wanna think about your key stakeholders in this process. So you wanna think about who should be involved in this process your management team very important you need to have your management buy-in because usually your managers or your administrative team are going to have the final say so your technical leaders your technical team should have some say in the process they are stakeholders those are the people that are typically running the equipment and so you want to make sure that you have the the technical buy-in and have that input then you also want to have from your medical director or your pathologist team. So there are certain things that they are wanting to know in regards to the equipment that you choose. And so those are some of the key stakeholders. It could be other hospital administrators that could be uh, have an interest in the instrumentation that you choose more so of its capability more so is it uh, competitive with what is known as the gold standard in your industry and then i also think about so we think about kind of what is the purpose we think about our stakeholders and then we think about well why are we getting new equipment so are you getting new equipment because yours is old possibly could be that it's time to replace it so, you know, and, and Stephanie will talk about this more in regards to capital or lease, but maybe you've had your equipment for seven years, you know, seven years. If it's 10 years, you definitely need to be looking at uh, new or replacement equipment. Maybe it's emerging technology that's out there. And so it's time for you to look at equipment because there's something new. So over the past couple of years, as you all know, we have been dealing with COVID. And so vendors have come out with their platform, emerging technology, and everybody, every lab wanted to be on the forefront of testing. And so that was a reason for new equipment because the environment drove the need for that technology. So sometimes it's the age of the equipment, sometimes it's emerging technology, sometimes it is your community or population maybe you need to think about another platform because your current platform is not meeting the needs of your particular population you also need to think about throughput and turnaround and, and expansion opportunities so those are 
reasons for why you may need other equipment. And one thing people don't think about that I had this happen to me in my career and I hadn't thought about it is clinician decision. And so I know at a previous organization, we had a clinician that was very familiar with uh, an emergent technology uh, and coagulation testing. And part of his uh, contract of being able to come to our particular hospital was that we had to have this particular equipment in-house. So uh, at that time, it was one of the first labs that I worked at where we were implementing the TIG technology and coagulation. And this was at least, I don't know, 10 years ago now. And so part of that uh, was that he, this particular clinician, he had came from Texas and he was already familiar with that. And so he's like, listen, I need to, you know, as part of me coming to your organization, this is one of the things of testing that I need to have available. And so that was one of the reasons that we looked into that particular equipment. And, and eventually we got that uh, equipment. So sometimes people don't think of why we are getting certain equipment uh, and the reason behind bringing in some of this different technology. And so it's exciting for sure when you're able to get new equipment, but there is a lot of things that go into it in regards to stakeholders, in regards to the methodology and, and emerging technology in regards to is my equipment old. Another consideration too is if you are becoming a system or multi-site operation and you want to standardize across all of your locations, you want consistent methodology, well then you have to look at vendors that are able to provide equipment that's able to meet the needs. So in my role, I have five hospital sites, one core reference laboratory, and two, soon to be three freestanding emergency departments. And so from a chemistry standpoint, I needed a vendor who could provide equipment in a high volume core or reference type of a laboratory, as well as in our very low volume freestanding emergency departments, as well as in our hospital setting. And so a lot of vendors were not able to provide equipment that could play nice in all of those spaces. So those two are other reasons to think about when selecting the best equipment for your particular operation. Ladies, any thoughts around that? <laughs> I think you you gave them a lot to think about. I think also if you're um, you know, looking at this uh, from the larger scope, make sure that you include your laboratory medical team. So if you've got section chiefs or, or medical directors over that area, a lot of times they want to see the data on validations or white papers, or they want to understand the methodology so that they can help communicate that to their clinical colleagues um, that might be working with it. So definitely make sure you're including your pathologist. Absolutely. And that's that's critical because you definitely want to have that buy in from your pathologists, from your medical directors, from that team, because it's going to be critical. But you really want to have buy in from all levels, from your your medical team, as well as your technologists, because the technologists play a huge role 
in it. And so I know that Stephanie, you're going to talk about the the kind of the administrative or managerial uh, points mm -hmm. of instrument selection, and then Lona will talk about some of those technical considerations that we need to make sure that we consider when we are getting this new equipment. This again, super exciting, but <laughs> there's a lot that goes into getting an instrument into your laboratory. Well, like Taiwan said, we all like new toys. Um, but if you are the manager, the administrator in this decision making process, your role is to have the entire picture in your view. You're not just looking at the instrument, you're looking at the entire big picture. So make sure that uh, you get a pen or write some of these down because I've got a lot of tips coming your way. Also, um, use your network. You know, I live in Texas, and so if Taiwana was implementing the tag from a doctor in Texas, he might have came from my facility. We use a tag. And so use your network. Reach out. This is where LinkedIn, going to those conferences, being on Twitter, creating that network comes in place because the vendor might not tell you everything that you need to know. So make sure you have that network of people that you can reach out to during this process to help alleviate some of the headaches. Uh, so the first tip is to look at costs. You want to look at your capital versus your lease versus your reagent rental versus your cost per reportable. There are so many purchasing options out there for new instrumentation uh, based on your volume, based on the size of the equipment, um, based on the terms and the conditions that you need the equipment for. So make sure that you're working with your finance team at your hospital to understand what your organization is willing to do versus what the vendor can provide to you. Um, running off some things, uh, some running off some tips I have about costs, make sure that your organization can afford a capital purchase if you're doing a capital purchase, or maybe they wanna take a monthly operational cost. So understand what is your budget and what are you projecting? If you take on a monthly operational cost, that could be for the next five years or you know six years. And so make sure that you're kind of calculating that into your current and future budgets. And then how does this facility bill? Do they bill monthly? Do they, we've had some vendors who bill us weekly. And so you wanna make sure you're also working with, like I said, your finance department, your purchasing department to understand uh, what does that financial picture look like? So you can explain that um, to the other departments that you're going to be working with as a manager. Um, consider the technology increases. So as technology moves on and gets upgrades, are those upgrades included in your contract or are you going to be paying for those? Um, sometimes if this is a capital purchase, you bought the piece of equipment. If you end up needing another piece of equipment, say a sample handler comes out or, a, you know, a decapper comes out for your chemistry instrument, something to help it move along, you know, maybe on a, a, a separate centrifuge that attaches to your track or something like that in chemistry. Are those upgrades a part of your agreement or will you be having to buy all of those things separately? Because that can certainly add up. Those bills can certainly add up. Um, ask a company before you make any decisions to provide you a price list for the supplies and reagents. You know, is the is the equipment super cheap? But then when you get into the supplies and reagents, that's where they then switched it up and did the okie doke. <laughs> uh, are they going to be tacking on additional fees? So we've had some vendors who there is a delivery and freight fee involved. And especially uh, right now, many states are struggling with ship shipping um, and supply shortages. So are there additional fees that you are not aware of? Um, because you'll need to calculate that into your budget also. 
Um, does the company supply the reagents or are they supplying their reagents through a third party vendor? So are you working with them to get your reagents? Or are you working with a third party vendor? And what is the reliability of that third party vendor? You definitely want to know that. And then if, in the future, if new assays come out, say I get this chemistry instrument, but then I get a physician like Taiwan has said that wants us to add an essay or, assay or a new test to this instrument, is the company able to provide you validation support, a consultant, the supplies, the materials to validate that new test at no cost? Or is that validation equipment going to be at a cost? Because, you know, in the laboratory, we're constantly validating new tests, new methodologies. And so are you going to be having to buy those validation kits and those supplies at your own cost or will those be provided to you? Um, and that's a consideration, too, because sometimes your pathologist might not might not like what the data looks like. You may not end up going with that test, but then you've bought this validation material. So you want to make sure you consider all of those in terms of cost. The next biggest thing you want to consider is the LIS, you know, and this is a huge consideration. And I think when you're looking at equipment, this can make the difference as to whether you go with one or another. Um, one of the things that we love to ask for in our facility is when we're buying a new piece of equipment, does the vendor provide an LIS reimbursement or allowance? And a lot of times they do. So um, our organization um, utilizes EPIC. So the laboratory is on Beaker. Our blood bank department still operates on Soft Computer Company or SCC. So a lot of times when we get new equipment, the vendor will give you maybe $10,000 as an LIS reimbursement or allowance uh, to build that interface or to build that LIS with that company of Epic or whoever your LIS is with. So be sure that you ask for that. Sometimes you ask not, you have not because you've asked not. <laughs> um, is there a middleware required? And is that an additional cost? And then you may want to also get with your IT department because I know many IT departments with all of the healthcare hacks and all of the <laughs> people, you know, uh, you know, uh, stealing information for Bitcoin now are, you know, may have different security rules with their IT um, and their um, firewalls and things like that. And so is IT involved in what these new middlewares will be or what these new IT requirements will be? And simply can it interface? Am I going to be doing manual <laughs> resulting? Uh, now, or can I interface this test? Um, also, uh, do they provide LIS technical support in terms of the install and the setup and ongoing support for this instrument? Um, and can you train my staff? Can I get a primary operator trained on how to operate the equipment, this middleware for this uh, instrument? And can I get that at no cost or will that be additional cost? When you train them, will it be on site or do you have, you know, your main uh, corporation in Dallas or Delaware where I'm going to have to send my tech to for training. And again, is that travel at no cost <laughs> or will you? So there's a lot of considerations um, here and really, and it's not an LIS portion, but it's really after you've implemented the data that comes from the LIS. So will you be providing us with annual business reviews or regular business reviews so that we could help get some of the data on how this instrument is operating. And I love to ask this question of vendors because it is nice for me to go back and review with the vendor. How many downtimes have we had? How much time have you saved us on turnaround times? You know, um, all of this data, can we review it at a periodic basis and see how your instrument is performing in the laboratory? Um, you obviously wanna look at when you're choosing an instrument, 
that upfront cost of not just that instrument, but any laboratory renovations or safety considerations. And we got hit with this <laughs> one time um, in our chemistry area, um, implementing a new instrument and then found out we were going to need new drains and then all of this different ventilation and all of these different electrical poles. And those costs, and although they weren't a part of the equipment, uh, were additional costs that were not factored in that we had to explain. So definitely understand what are the specs of this instrument? Do I currently have the plumbing? Do I currently have the storage needs for all of the reagents? Am I going to need a biohazard cabinet or something that I don't currently have that I will have to purchase? Will I need more eyewash stations? Will I need improved ventilation? You know, if you're going through your histology area and you're installing a new grossing station, do you have the proper ventilation? So it might be time for your quality person to jump in here and help you do some safety audits in this, in this equipment. Um, what is the skill level of the technologist using the lab equipment? Um, and is that sufficient? Or will the end users need to be trained? Um, is there unlimited access to training modules um, where we can help update our SOPs? Um, but also with technologists, if I get this equipment, will I need more technologists? Is this going to require a lot of a bunch of extra maintenance, a bunch of extra throughput issues where I'm going to need more technologists or maybe more clerks or maybe more processors? Or am I going to need less technologists? <laughs> you know, not an easy management decision to make. But sometimes, especially in micro, when you look at instruments like the WASP, um, that can read microbiology plates for you, sometimes that saves you on NFTs. Not saying that you necessarily need to fire anybody or eliminate people's positions, but you may be able to reassign them or help them to work on other critical tasks. So it's great to understand after I implement this, how will it change my FTE structure? How will it change the, the employees that I currently have for you know positive or negative, I guess, however you want to look at that. Um, Clinician needs, you want to look at your future clinician needs and your present clinician needs. So does the instrument have the full panel of testing that you need um, in both stat and routine mode? Um, what is the specimen of choice and what is that unit of measure? So we recently implemented high sensitivity troponin, which, is a, which was a completely different unit of measure than what our cardiologists were used to. And there was a lot of extra uh, education they had to do, some of their standards of care and some of the algorithms they were using needed to be modified. Um, there needed to be a lot of conversations between the cardiologists and the EC physicians um, when they were doing stroke alerts or heart alerts. Are you certified in any of these? Or our hospital has a stroke accreditation and a heart accreditation. And how does this new test impact that? Um, so you may need to pull in other stakeholders um, when you're looking at certain tests and how those tests may change. Uh, what is the collection state stability? You know, will that, will the collection stability, I, I think our new chemistry instrument has a refrigerator, you know, um, on deck. And so the collection stability was a little bit longer. Um, and then finally, you definitely want to look at the service. And so once we get this in, and it is three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, which happens to be a holiday and it goes down. What does our service look like? <laughs> so you definitely want to ask, what is the pricing for your service plans and explain the service coverage types? Do I need 24 seven? 
Do I need Monday through Friday? You know, what type of service, depending if it's an instrument that you're batching and you're not running every day, maybe you don't need 24 seven service. But if it's something that you're like Taiwana said, using the screen and you're pushing through CBCs and chemistries, you want that 24 seven and you want that telephone tech support, you know, and, and you want a local representative who can be en route on their way. <laughs> you don't want to be down too long. So what is the response time? for service and repairs. If there's parts, is the company paying for the parts? And you know, how quickly can we get those parts? Um, like I said, are the service representatives local? And how long does it usually take for them to respond to on-site work orders? Right now, when we're in times where COVID testing is still very priority, you don't want to be down on your roast instrument or your Panther instrument for too long and unable to provide that COVID service to your patients. Again, are there printers included in the annual service? So a lot of times, most of the instruments around the laboratory have a printer attached to them or a monitor attached to them. Is there service on, on those additional pieces of equipment? Or are you gonna be constantly buying new printers and new monitor and new keyboards? Um, does the instrument, does the vendor provide instrument validation support? And a lot of times they do, but you wanna ask what is that type of support that they provide? But I think the most important thing you need to do is get your frontline employees involved. Your frontline employees are going to be able to tell you exactly what they need, exactly what's wrong with what they have, <laughs> and exactly what they're looking for. And so Taiwan is going to give you a couple of tips on uh, if you're a, a tech on the bench or if you're a frontline employee, if you've got those technical considerations for your instrument selection, what you should be looking for. Oh, Lona. Okay. Lona's going to give that. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to talk about technical considerations. And I know there's a lot of the things that the technical considerations that may overlap with some of the things that the administrators would still have to take into consideration. And that's why, like Taiwana say, the stakeholders have to be all part of a team when you're making this decision. So when you're making any decision, yes, you're having the lab exec to look at pricing, look at cost, look at a lot of those um, maybe logistic things. But then there are the technical considerations, things that are really technical about the testing that maybe a exec or maybe someone in administration may not have privy to. So that's why it's a team. So you're looking at lab exec, you're looking at technical directors, the directors that are specialized in those testing um, that understand the test methodologies. So making sure that you're including, like um, Taiwan and Stephanie would say, the pathologists, but a lot of these may not be pathologists. They may be the PhD um, directors who are specialized in, the, in these areas. And they are very vital when it comes to making decisions about having equipment or any testing um, platform. The managers, the frontline users, the quality, the process improvement specialists, the hospital departments and physicians. So like I think Taiwana mentioned that, that they may be requesting a certain type of test based on what we offer in the hospital. So those a lot of those are technical um, considerations 
any subject matter expert should be involved. And so in order to make this decision, you draft a list of these technical considerations. And you're getting that from all the stakeholders. So it's important. And a lot of these technical considerations, I'm not going to repeat because I think Stephanie was talking on behalf of the administrators. A lot of those are already mentioned, but in terms of technical stuff, you're going to be basically drafting a list once you sit down in a forum or a focus group and ask the stakeholders to weigh in and document these criteria that are important to the decision. So if you're getting an equipment, you want to know the test that's going to be run on the equipment. Is it possible that you can consolidate? These decisions are usually made by the technical directors, whether or not you can consolidate on a certain type of equipment, certain testing. We're talking about, I'm going to move fast for things that were mentioned before that were technical considerations, things that maybe tests that are outdated. You have to look, is this methodology outdated or is this state of the art? Somebody's um, mentioned the troponing, um, the troponing I or troponing T, the sensitivity of the test. A lot of these the technical directors are making decisions about these. They're having discussions with the vendors and the specialists at that company about sensitivity and specificity of the test. It, are we going to have to change reference ranges, the safety of certain reagents that are used, the specimen type that's used for that particular test? Is it whole blood or serum? Or do we have to change our whole specimen type? Um, whether or not that equipment can work with the type of specimen that we usually use, the effect of hemolysis or hemolysis indices. There's a lot of things that technically have to be considered, whether it's affected by different pre-analytical variables and transportation. And um, Stephanie mentioned this, the, the setup time. When we get this equipment, how long is it going to take for us to set this up? And um, is it easy, like adding just a module, modular, or is it a whole line? What's the throughput for that instrument for the testing and the needs of the providers? Because they're part of this, they're the stakeholders. Is this going to um, be okay for the ED providers? So we want to know how fast this um, instrument is when it comes to moving these specimens through. Um, Stephanie mentioned the type of um, personnel, moderate or high complexity personnel, um, available training. What type of supplies do they give? What's the reputation of the company? Um, a lot of that has to do with um, considering that equipment. And a lot more that I do, may have been repeated in terms of the footprint, the space layout, any changes that would affect other um, lab areas. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how do you actually work with these technical considerations? When you're looking at your stakeholders, um, the, the lab executives, the technical directors coming together, how do we make these decisions? Because I know we were like, okay, check, check, check. But there could be a lot of different instruments that you're trying to make a decision about that may have a lot of the same 
things. How do you really make that decision to choose an instrument? So one um, practice that I would suggest is to have a, a list of these criteria that you'll get from the group that's important, especially from the technical directors that knows about the specificity, the reference range changes, the specimen type and all that that's important, get a list. And once you get a list, have each stakeholder give you a weighting for each consideration. So for each criteria, it could be how important is this criteria to selecting this instrument. Um, looking at importance, um, impact, importance and the impact that it will have and probably say, low importance, low impact, maybe zero, give it one, three, for each criteria you're giving it a weighting. And the ones that have the highest weightings, those are the criteria that you're gonna use. So you're gonna reduce the list and start looking. You already checked off everything that's on all the instruments. So you only have a short list now that you're gonna work on. These are things that are very important. And these are the high um, ratings for say throughput. If throughput has a five, you're gonna make sure that that's selected. So the ones with the highest rating for everyone, you're saying these are the things that are important to all of the stakeholders. And based on that, with the instrument that you have, you start selecting based on the height high um, criteria, the ones with a high number and choose that. So when you're looking at, say for instance, um, there's a vendor that has the same equipment and we're gonna make a choice. We have three different vendors and we have a list of criteria with the highest ratings that are important to all of our stakeholders. We're gonna look and say, okay, for this instrument from say um, Siemens, um, when I look at it and check the criteria and the, 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 the weight, they have a highest number because based on the things that are important to us, all of our team that's involved, you're gonna have frontline users, you're gonna have the technical um, people, you're gonna have the supervisors and you choose. And that is a, a, a non-biased way of making the selection. I know that many times we don't, a lot of times it's based on um, who has the biggest clout, especially if you're working in situation where there are different hospitals, different groups, then it may be okay. This group is the biggest group. So therefore they have the high clout. So therefore they're the ones that's gonna choose the criteria that they want over the smaller sister hospital. But when you include everyone and you have a very non-biased criteria and you have waiting for those criteria, then it's very easy to make that selection. So you're gonna choose the things that are really important and you're gonna consider technical things like sensitivity, reference ranges, you're gonna consider the stakeholders. And so when you make that selection, it's more on a non-biased um, selection. So that's my um, tip when it comes to making a fair selection for an instrument. Lona, I like what you said about uh, the list because it, it makes me think about when you do have a system 
So for instance, if you're choosing an instrument and uh, it doesn't run pediatric samples or it doesn't do minimum sample um, runs, and that's low incidence for maybe one location that doesn't have a big pediatric population. But for another one, it'd be a high impact, especially if I have like a pediatric ER or pediatric ur urgent care physicians or the NICU docs will not be mad if I've got to draw the entire uh, specimen volume on all the babies <laughs> because you can't run pediatric volume. So uh, you got to really look at what is the incidence, but what is also the impact and not just the impact to the lab, but the impact to your customers that you serve. Yeah, I thought you both made some really, really good points. Going back to, I think you mentioned this, Stephanie, when you talked about LIS considerations and making sure that you get those technical specs. So I have had this uh, happen before where uh, we were getting ready to get equipment and we almost could not uh, put it on our network, which would have been a really big problem. And so getting your LIS, LIS team, your lab information team in sooner than later, because due to spyware, due to antivirus, you want to make sure that it has the capability of going on to your hospital network. Uh, I don't know about you all's organizations, but ours is very firm. If it does not meet the criteria, they will not put it on uh, the network, which is a really huge problem. And so uh, that was one thing that stuck out to me. Also, another thing that stuck out to me was when you are considering instrumentation, and I love that whole checklist idea. We actually did that in our system when we were bringing on hematology equipment and we had all of these various sites. And so bringing all of those leaders together with a checklist as they went through uh, each of the vendors for those considerations because each site had different needs. But one of the things that you can also do when you're considering new equipment, especially if it's going to be a vendor change from who you already have is ask for references from them. Who do they have that's already have their equipment in operation that they can connect you with, that they can allow you to talk to so that you can ask those questions too. And sometimes you can also ask if they have accounts that will allow you to come and do a, a field trip, as they say, or a tour so that you can see that particular vendor's equipment in operation at another location. So as we were standardizing our chemistry equipment, which was a really big deal, our uh, primary or legacy sites uh, had been exposed to that vendor. But as we had got other hospitals in our network, they were not familiar with that vendor. And so, and it, the vendor was going to be a huge difference from what they already had. So one of the things, the vendor knew that this was a really big deal. And one of the things they did is they set up for us to go to a hospital uh, that's maybe 45 minutes from us that had all of the particular equipment that we were looking at, not just the chemistry equipment, but also front end automation that we were eventually going to be looking at as well. And so they set up time for us to be able to go to that particular hospital and we were able to ask them questions. And so I think that was a really good experience for those technical leaders to see the equipment 
outside of the environment, even for those locations that had that vendor's previous models, I think was, was really helpful. And so that's something that you may not think about, but ask them for referrals. And also, is there the opportunity to see that equipment in operation? And then when I thought about the getting equipment, thinking about that potential for automation, if you will, front end automation. So with our chemistry equipment, the vendor that we decided to go with, it had a huge impact on front end automation and then what we would be able to connect our hematology line to. So even though hematology is another discipline, not under me, it all played a huge part. And so depending on the automation system that we went with, which is a piece of equipment, was going to have an impact on the hematology equipment that we chose if we wanted to connect it to the automation line. So those are all considerations, which is why you have to have those stakeholders at the table at the beginning. And I remember Stephanie talking about cost as you are buying more and more equipment. So say, for instance, you're buying chemistry equipment and front-end automation equipment from the same vendor, and maybe another piece of serology equipment from that vendor, and you're putting that equipment at various sites. What kind of volume discount can you get? So those are all considerations that, may, that I thought about as well. And sometimes they even have an inventory tracking system. So thinking about new technologies such as RFID tagging is important. And so those are all very important. And then the last thing that it made me think about as you all were talking <clears throat> was the, the facilities consideration, because I had this happen too, in regards to we went from a one of the hospitals I was at, we went from dry slide technology to now we had equipment that was plumbed to a water source. That was a huge deal uh, for our particular laboratory, considering we were right above the, uh, this was at a, a children's or pediatric hospital. The lab was on the floor right over our NICU. And now we were using equipment that was plumbed to a water source. And we happened to have an incident. Well, somehow or another, the water source got disconnected and water everywhere. And yeah, it was not good news. So you know, those are things to think about too, or if there is a, an occurrence in which you have to turn off your particular equipment. So you have to think about that. So we had to think about, we had to have some service to our DI water supply tank and our equipment constantly runs water. And so it's like, well, how long can we run without the water tank being filled up? So those are all considerations that you have to think about uh, when you are selecting new equipment. And obviously, you know, we, we talked about including all stakeholders, that's the really the biggest thing, you know, and in, inside the lab, outside the lab with IT. But try to understand what are what are going to be um, your huge stop gaps. And so IT, we already talked about that, especially since, you know, so many um, 
you know, spyware and hackings have been happening in our hospital. Infection control is one, especially during the pandemic. Infection control put some serious guidelines around, you know, cleaning um, cloths that you can use and mechanisms. So if this instrument requires a certain type of cleaning product that is not allowed in your organization, you know, make sure that you can or cannot talk to infection control. Obviously, facilities, if you're looking at things like plumbing and water, um, things like that. And so making sure that you are talking to your neighbors, talking to everybody. And I love this, this checklist because it's not just for instrumentation. You know, we went over things that um, we also look at when we're selecting a reference laboratory. You know, what is the turnaround time? What are the needs of the clinician? You know, what are going to be the reference ranges? You know, and what are some of the requirements for the future and present? And so you can use these things as you're selecting a myriad of things that we work with in the laboratory. I think we could go on and on, ladies, but we are getting close to our time. So I'm going to wrap it up. If you like what you've heard, there is a way for you to do a tutorial, a testimonial, not a tutorial, but a test testimonial <laughs> for us. We'd love to hear you uh, tell us how our show has impacted you. Um, and the, th the tidbits that you've gotten from our show, you guys are the reason why we've been doing this for two years and we love doing it. So leave us a comment, join us on our uh, LinkedIn group, connect with us on our social medias, share this episode, subscribe to our show on your podcast platforms or on directimpactbroadcasting.com. Tell us what you want us to talk about next. We love, you know, giving you guys what you'd like to listen to or just uh, submit a guest form to be on the show. We're looking for highly gifted, talented, engaging technologists. And we know you're out there listening. So <laughs> submit a guest form and be on our show. But until we talk to you again, everybody have a great day um, and come back and visit us. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Elaborate Topics, where your hosts discussed relevant strategies for laboratory professionals. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and listen to us on directimpactbroadcasting.com. Stay tuned for another episode with information you can use to excel in your laboratory career.